first. Thank you, Rita. (laughs) It is good to be back. Hosea, the prophet Hosea, was a prophet who was also an empath. He felt, he felt deeply, and he communicated to the people the deep feelings of God. Hosea proclaimed to the people God's experience of betrayal. He announced to the people their unfaithfulness, their betrayal of God, and their chronic disregard of the covenant in both their political and religious life. In their anxious desire for prosperity, for wealth, success, security, the people turned to all their old gods and all their old tricks. They'd anxiously sought kings and rulers. They'd searched for political allies and lackeys. And their anxious search for this political power over led to jockeying and coups, assassinations, and backdoor scheming, conspiracies, fraud, corruption. Sound familiar? Grasping attempts to maneuver and manipulate to their advantage and ultimately to win control. They forgot. They forgot to care for one another. They forgot to trust in God's care, not only of them, but of all people and all creation. They forgot covenant. They forgot how to love their neighbors. They forgot how to love their God. And so Hosea came to them in the midst of their forgetting. Hosea came to them feeling all the feelings that God was surely feeling. He was an empath channeling the divine empath. Hosea came to the people with an emphatic indictment of their unfaithfulness to their God, which was not new in the prophetic tradition. Prophets had been speaking hard truths to the people for as long as there had been prophets. But Hosea's biggest feeling on behalf of God, as evidenced by the excerpt that we heard this morning, Hosea's biggest divine feeling toward the people was a deep, impenetrable feeling of love. In spite of the betrayal, love. If you have ever found yourself on the pointy end of betrayal, I bet that you would tell us a story of someone you loved, perhaps someone you love still. Because it's those closest and most intimate relationships where the sting of betrayal is extra stingy. Hosea draws on a parent-child metaphor for parts of the book, including what we heard in our excerpt this morning. Speaking in the voice of God as divine parent and the people as God's children who have so deeply betrayed their parent. And a parent-child relationship is, of course, just one example of one of those close and intimate relationships where the pointy end of betrayal feels extra pointy. While at the same time, The bond of love is so impossibly impenetrable. Both are true at the same time. 
And Hosea, like many prophets before him, used the names of his own children as living messages, as sermons, little sermons for the people, for the people whom he so deeply loved and so desperately wanted to reach and communicate with. Hosea sensed God's stirring and calling to choose names for his three children that might convey a message, a divine message, to the people. And going back to the first chapters of the book of Hosea, we see that at God's urging, Hosea named the first of his children Jezreel. Jezreel was a city where God's people had committed a massacre. It was a place where the people's betrayal in their love of God and neighbor was undeniably and forever imprinted on their memory, a place that couldn't help but rouse in them a collective sense of sorrow or shame or regret. Contemporarily, in the U.S., it might be like naming a child Hiroshima or Wounded Knee. At God's bidding, Hosea named his second child Not Shown Pity or Not Beloved. And the third of his children at God's behest, Hosea named Not My People. Three living sermons, Jezreel, the ancient Hiroshima, or wounded knee, not shown pity, not my people. But the enduring parental love of God for the people, despite their betrayal, despite their forgiving, is symbolized by Hosea in the renaming of his children from Jezreel, or Hiroshima, or wounded knee of their day, to the literal meaning of the Hebrew word Jezreel, which means God sows. God sows seeds, a deeply hope-filled act with a promise of life and a promise of future and a promise of sustenance. From not shown pity or not beloved to its exact opposite, shown pity, beloved. And from not my people to my people. In the renaming of Hosea's living sermons to the people, God claims the people still. God sows, shown pity, beloved, my people. God claims the people still, forever, always. How could I do any differently, we hear in the voice of God in our excerpt from Hosea this morning. How could I do any differently, my children? The betrayal of the people is only as stingy as it is because of the depth of the love that God has for the people. If God didn't much care about the people, the betrayal would be a lot less hard to endure, be a lot less of a betrayal. As it is, listen to these active verbs that divine parent God claims toward the people. I loved you. I called you. And a second time, I called you. I taught you to walk. I took you up in my arms. I healed you. I led you with kindness and with great love. I bent down and fed you. I lifted you up like an infant to my cheeks. Or in another uh, translation, I lifted you to suckle at my breast. I loved you, 
I love you still. John and I spent a week at Holden Village near the end of my sabbatical, and we were standing in the library our first afternoon there when I heard the sound of the piano playing those oh-so-familiar first chords from Holden Evening Prayer, which, as many of you know, is a sung evening liturgy that is deeply beloved to me and many, many people, including lots of you. I'm looking at Jeanette. I know she's one that shares the deep love with me. So I immediately began running upstairs to discreetly enter the balcony of the fireside room to listen in and perhaps sing along, even if it was just a solo pianist in there on their own. And incredibly, who I found was the nine children who currently live in the village year-round, practicing, since they were going to be leading the community in singing Holden Evening Prayer that next weekend. It was a moving experience to be led by children in that beloved liturgy, and very profoundly, I received it like a gift of immeasurable grace. It's a gift that there's some layers to that, which someday I can tell you if you want to, but it was, the, it was an incredible gift of grace for me in that moment. And when we got to the intercessory prayers, two young boys alternated singing the single lines of intercession. And when one of them in his lovely falsetto voice sang, For all those who govern that justice might guide them. I couldn't and didn't want to stop the tears that began to stream down my cheeks. I thought of betrayal and forgetting how governments have, in so many cases, betrayed their children. How adults, in so many cases, have betrayed them. Not always, or even often willfully betraying them, but sometimes willfully, and usually somewhere in the messy middle between the best and the worst of intentions. I thought of the harm that we daily cause so many, very much including our children who are growing up in a world where all those who govern are, in fact, not guided by justice. I heard the voice of 16-year-old Greta Thunberg from Sweden speaking to global political leaders at the UN Climate Action Summit in September of this year, words that have become already iconic. I doubt there's any one of you in this room who hasn't heard them at least once. But like good prophet words ought to be long remembered and heard again and again. This is all wrong, she said. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You've stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? You are failing us. But the young people are starting to understand your betrayal. The eyes of all future generations are upon you. For all those who govern, the justice might guide them. I 
heard the voice of 11-year-old Naomi Wadler, 11, speaking at Youth Planned and Youth-Led March for Our Lives in Washington, D.C. last year, who prophetically cried while standing in the shadow of our nation's Capitol building, I am here today to acknowledge and represent the African-American girls whose stories don't make the front page of every national newspaper, whose stories don't lead on the evening news. I represent the African-American women who are victims of gun violence, who are simply statistics instead of vibrant, beautiful girls full of potential. People have said that I'm too young to have these thoughts on my own. People have said that I'm a tool of some nameless adult. I am not. It's not true. My friends and I might still be 11, and we might still be in elementary school, but we know We know life isn't equal for everyone, and we know what is right and wrong. For all those who govern that justice might guide them. I beheld the children of Holden singing their intercessions, and I thought of betrayal and forgetting how the church in so many cases has betrayed its children. How we, how I, in so many cases, have betrayed them. Our children are growing up in a world where even those of us who love them deeply and long with all our hearts for justice are so complicit and caught up in systems that we can scarcely see and identify, much less dismantle. I can hardly bear the harm that we and that I daily cause so many, very much including our children who are growing up in a world surrounded like folks like me, who have the very best of intentions, the very best of intentions, and yet betray them in their futures so irreparably. For all those who govern that justice might guide them, God of mercy, hold us in love. In the joyous and just spirit of God's jubilee for all people and all creation, our congregation discerned, among other things, that we would together walk pathways toward reparations. That is the call that we heard and we claimed together. Very specifically, for the indigenous folks of the many nations of this land, and for the black survivors of the transatlantic slave trade and the centuries of lynching and mass incarceration and police brutality that many other sins of white supremacy that have carried on since that first ship arrived on our shores 400 years ago. And so the folks that have graciously and generously said yes to serving in leadership positions for our congregation right here at Seattle Mennonite, have been engaging together in formation in anti-racism and unlearning and undoing the white supremacy that just holds us down. Each council and spiritual leadership team have selected resources to engage and be formed by that specifically relate to their particular form of ministry. And so, for example, Stewardship Council has been reading a book titled Decolonizing Wealth. Indigenous Wisdom to Heal Divides and Restore Balance by Edgar Villanueva. And our very own member of this community and our administrator, Lee Murray, 
wrote a fantastic one-page review of that book. It was quite a feat to get that book onto one page. It was attached as a newsletter to our e-communicator a couple weeks ago, and shoot, I double-checked this morning, and it wasn't hanging on the stewardship board, and I was going to print it out and put it there. I will. It's going to be there someday, soon, by next Sunday for sure. Um, But it is attached to the e-communicator for all of you on that list. I think the last Wednesday in October. (coughs) Stewardship Council on our behalf is reflecting on important and complex questions like our embeddedness as a congregation in colonizing systems of generational wealth building, investment culture, and philanthropy and charitable giving. All of them caught up in colonialism. We are together wondering about the harm that we cause, most notably the harm that we cause in spite of our best intentions. And we're together wondering about our betrayal of love of God and neighbor by our participation in those systems. And we are together, fearfully and with trembling, imagining how we might decolonize, how we might choose the path of healing and liberation, which Villanueva indicates will include Grieving, apologizing, listening, relating, representing, investing differently, and repairing. The prophet Hosea proclaims a God who demands justice, yes. A God who is provoked to anger, fierce anger, according to what we heard this morning, at the people who forget and who fail. A God who is at the pointy end of betrayal, yet is completely in love with the betrayers, the beloved people. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Joshua Heschel, in his study of Hosea, came to understand God's most decisive motive in relation to the people as love. He found in Hosea a God who, at the pointy end of deep betrayal on the part of the people, nevertheless goes on pleading for loyalty, uttering a longing for reunion, a passionate desire for reconciliation. And this is the good news for today. The good news from Hosea is that we might keep returning to God not racked with and immobilized by shame at the ways in which we have betrayed, the ways we've forgotten how to love God and neighbor, the ways in which even with the best of intentions we have harmed so many, but returning humbly knowing that God's enduring parental love for us is indeed enduring. There's nothing we can do to shake it. God is decidedly not apathetic about the people, then or now. Hosea's prophetic word is ultimately a love song on behalf of the divine empath. It is a love song filled with fierce anger, searing disappointment, devastating betrayal, and love, 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 love. A love so big, so deep, so broad, so tender, so fierce, so true, so before, so after, so smack dab in the middle, so over, beneath, behind, and before that it won't rest until all the beloveds are called into it, embraced by 
love, and justice for all peoples and for all creation. For all those who govern, that justice might guide them. God of mercy, hold us in love. For peace between peoples, nations, for peace between peoples. God of mercy, hold us in love. And so God does hold us in love. We are going to sing a song of God's love as embodied in the person of Jesus the Christ. And may you and may we hear in this love song the invitation to keep returning to God, to remember to be embraced and transformed. I heard the voice of Jesus say, 493? 493 in the blue hymnal. And... To really hear it and receive it, let's stand in body or in spirit.